You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons Podcast. You can visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. My pronouns are he, him, and I am the other co-pastor here, and it's good to be with you guys today. So we're going to do a little, um, we've been in the book of Exodus this summer, kind of looking at some of these big moments in the life and history of the people of Israel. And so today we come to the big 10, the 10 commandments. Um, Joe, is that okay for our friends on Zoom, or are you just going to... I'm going to read it out. It's going to be great. Joe, our fearless AV guy, hides behind the curtain. Um, It's not that he's in trouble or anything. He's just behind the curtain. Anyway, um, so let's see if we can do a little group work here. I'm not following the chat, but if someone's in the chat um, for our friends on Zoom, uh, no cheating, no looking at the text. What are the Ten Commandments? Let's just hear, like, let's, let's see if we can get them. Don't kill. That killing is bad. So no kill. All right. That's that's good. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thou shalt not kill. Yes. Thank you. Steal. Yes. Let's not steal. Stealing is bad too. Let's see. I think, oh, I think kill is actually six, isn't it? And steal is, yeah, steal is here. Okay. Don't steal and don't kill. Other, are there other bad things? No, don't lie. Yep, no lying, no cheating, no stealing. Oh, no, no coveting. What did I? What does that word mean? Covet. Like that's a very that's like laden with religiosity. You want what you don't have, so no wanting. We're gonna put covet because. I don't want to write all the things that, but yes, it's like this lung, like I gotta have that thing. No adultery. Okay. We're doing pretty good on the back end here. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Okay. Zoom. Thank you. Is there shall be no gods before me. Okay. And we have no idols. Oh, and there's a Sabbath. What is well, what is the Sabbath again? It's like a day of rest, right? And it actually, you could translate that as self-care, right? That you shall actually take care of yourself and rest and have healthy rhythms. Okay, we're we're just there are just a couple left. Oh, mother and father, honor your parents. There you go. Oh, there it is. Yes, yes. So it's it's, you know, misusing God's name. It's almost as if you were to say like, um, like, hey, I'm a Christian and watch me treat people really badly. Like that could be, no, it never happens. I, right. But you could read other religions have that problem. Right. So we understand those poor people. Okay. Nice job. I mean, it only took, you know, 85 of us, but we got it done. And, uh, So that's what we're talking about today. And we're talking about the Ten Commandments, but we're going to look at it from a slightly different perspective, right? Um, And and there there are a thousand sermons that could be preached on this and probably should be preached. Um, Today, we're going to talk about this idea of how we get law, whatever that is, stuck in our heads and our hearts and it judges us. 
there are a lot of do's and don'ts or a lot of ways you're supposed to go through life. And it sits back there, kind of like a circuit judge in your, in your heart and mind. You don't notice that it's there, but there's a lot of sort of guilt that travels with you. There's a lot of, I think I'm not okay. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not, whatever, all the enoughs that we struggle with, I, they sit right there. So it's more of a concept of law as opposed to these 10. Like these, those, those are good, right? Um, and so last night I heard this woman give a remarkable speech um, about some of these tensions right, around being enough and about these really what's become cultural pressure that defines how you're supposed to do life. Um, and so I want to read, I'm just going to read part of it. It was a brilliant speech and I highly recommend it. Um, the woman's name is Gloria. Uh, she also goes by America Ferreira. Uh, and this is what she says at the turning point in the movie, Barbie. <laughs> it is literally impossible to be a woman. You're so beautiful and so smart, and it kills me that you don't think you're good enough. Like, we have to always be extraordinary, but somehow we're always doing it wrong. You have to never get old, never be rude, never show off, never be selfish, never fall down, never fail, never show fear, never get out of line. It's too hard. It's too contradictory. And nobody gives you a medal or says thank you. And it turns out, in fact, that not only are you doing everything wrong, but also everything is your fault. It's a great scene in the movie where she's, she's actually bringing people to life by naming these invisible cues, this cultural context that sits behind that we don't see. And we walk around feeling less than. The whole speech is, I mean, look it up, even if you don't see the movie, look it up and, and listen to the speech. It is truly remarkable. And with that in mind, we're going to read this scripture passage, and we're going to let it sink in, and we're going to say, okay, what are we going to do with this now? How, how has this scripture passage and other passages, how they played into unhealthy frameworks? And are, is there a healthier way to move forward? So I'd like to invite up Yvonne Printers, who's going to read scripture for us. If you would thank Yvonne for doing a very long reading today. Thank you, Yvonne. And we uh, typically stand uh, for those who like to stand in honor of Scripture uh, as it's read from Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above on earth beneath or in the waters below you shall not bow down to them or worship them for i the lord your god am a jealous god punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments 
you shall not mis misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your, nor your animals or any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or, or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. People of God, this is the word of God. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Whew. So there it is, uh, the Big Ten, really good stuff in there. Um, and I want to give a, a little bit of an orientation as we talk about this idea of law, which really has core origins right here in this passage that we just read. A lot of times, and, and I'm guilty of this myself, uh, when Christians talk about the idea of law, we denigrate our Jewish siblings, right? Oh, they got it wrong, we got it right, or they're legalists and we're not, this sort of thing. And it's not healthy and it's actually not true, right? There's a lot of diversity within the Jewish community around interpretation and how they handle law. And so today, as I'm talking about the law, yes, it's we're talking about Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, rooted in scripture in the hebrew scriptures but we're not actually talking about jewish interpretations primarily what we're talking about is christian interpretations and how the christian interpretations over the years have had a a particular flavor okay so it's like if i were gonna say to you hey i want to have a conversation about beyonce's music all right but I'm actually really interested in just talking about the mathematics of it and the algorithms and these sorts of things because it's in an advanced math class. We'd still be talking about Beyonce, but we'd be having a different conversation, right? And so we're still talking about Beyonce, we're still talking about law, but there's a different take here in particular because Christianity grew up with this Greco-Roman culture, right? very analytical, math-oriented, uh, philosophical, and a very different approach to jurisprudence, okay? So law in the Hebrew world um, typically was more communal. So these were more communal uh, issues, like, hey, together we don't commute, uh, commit adultery. Like, we're, we're in this as a community. We have values around protecting committed relationships right? Protecting life, these sorts of things. The Greco-Roman world 
had law courts. I mean, it's really the foundation for a lot of American, the American law system. And it, it, it's a different approach. It's, I'm not saying either one is good or bad, but it's a different approach. And when it comes to applying that Greco-Roman cultural lens to Beyonce, right? It's a different conversation that you're having. And so that's primarily what we're talking about today. And so we're going we're gonna to start off talking about um, one of the, the great Jewish rabbis in the time of Jesus. Hillel was just a master. Jesus learned a lot from Hillel. Uh, you'll see it show up in some of Jesus' teachings. In this particular incident, Hillel is modeling some of this, some of the this more simplistic, um, one-dimensional approaches to law that we're talking about. All right, so Hillel gets approached. He lived 30 years before Christ. He gets approached by this impatient Gentile who says to him, can you tell me the whole law while standing on one foot? Right, and this is Hillel's response. Standing on one foot. Whatever is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. This is the whole Torah, and the rest is commentary. Go and learn it. Boom! He nailed it, right? It's awesome. It's really actually amazing. Jesus shows up, and based off of some of the teachings of Hillel, this is what rabbis would do, right? They would, they would respond to others and build on others. Jesus shows up and has a different approach, which you can also do standing on one foot. Listen to this. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Right? I made it standing on one foot. Right? I mean, it's... Now, do you notice the differences between those two? They're crucial. Hillel's is don't do what is hateful, right? Don't do. It's a list of don'ts. It's a limited approach to morality. Like here are the limits. There's in, there's out, there's good, there's bad, there's right, there's wrong. Jesus gives a very different approach. In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Where's the limit of that? How, how do you set a limit on actually loving your neighbor? It's expansive. It's this different approach. And in some ways, what you see, what did I do with my pen? There's a, I'll just do it over here a little bit. Um, Hillel sets this bar it says, don't do what's hateful. In some ways, that's, that's the Ten Commandments. It's, it's a low bar. Jesus responding in the Sermon on the Mount, he upgrades the low bar, and he says things like, so here it says, don't commit adultery. Don't kill people. Jesus says, you've heard it says, don't kill people. I say, don't be angry. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say, don't lust. So what Jesus does is he ups the bar to a higher level, because it's not just not killing, now it's not being angry. And then Jesus ups the bar again and puts it up here, which is, he says, now 
love each other. Because there are no limits on that. How much money do you need to give to someone who's struggling? That, that's different than giving your 10%, right? Or, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, how, how do you place a limit on love? And that's what is going on here. So there, some of this work, is, there's a great book by a, a couple of scholars, Anne Spangler and Lois Bergberg. Uh, if you'd like to read more on this, I could highly recommend it. It's called Following in the Footsteps of Rabbi Jesus. But they follow around Jesus and how he takes the teaching of the time and he, he upgrades it or he adapts it to, to increase the level of intensity. So now, going back to this idea that we have this grid in our, in our minds and heart that's judging us for like, oh, I didn't do this right, or I didn't do that right. What we have here is a, is a new approach. Um, there's an author named Francis Spufford who talks about these, uh, he's, he's great. He talks about these general and lunatic principles of Jesus. And he goes through this whole thing about how crazy it is that Jesus calls you to give your life away, to give your love away, to give your money away, give your time away. And that ultimately, we all realize that we can't do it, but that we're invited into a whole new way of being. Where, where we're not judging every action. We're not concerned about, is this technically right or technically wrong? But we're asking, we're asking the, the, the higher bar question, which is, am I loving? And Jesus comes back to this over and over again. The, the challenge for us is that, is that legalism is actually easier than love. Right? Can you just make a list? And usually your list is not their list, and they're not, they're not as good at your list. Right? you got to pick a list that you're good at, right? I mean, that's the whole idea, because then you can look down on everyone else. But, but you've got those boxes that you get to check. And Jesus just blows it apart and says, no, you're actually called to love, to give your life away. Um, so I want to invite up a friend, uh, Jamie Dunham. Would you come down? Would you welcome our friend Jamie? She's going to share a little bit with us here today. Um, Hello. Step in the middle so our friends on Zoom can say hi. Hi, everybody. <laughs> How are you feeling? Are you so glad to be here? I'm so glad to be no, here. She's not glad to be here, but that's okay. Um, tell us how long have you been around City Church and like why did you come or something like that? Um, I've been in the orbit of City Church, <laughs> as Brenna says, for maybe three years, I don't know, three-ish years now. My okay. sister and friends go here and I've known Bill forever for a long time. So we've been in each other's lives for a while. There you go. All right. The kind of person that can just call you up on a Saturday night and say, hey, what are you doing tomorrow morning? Yes. <laughs> um, so 
we had a conversation about this stuff and tell us tell us what you were saying this morning about for you you weren't as well tell, tell us about growing up did you grow up with the moral right and wrong you have to do this and was it kind of a bunch of pressure around there and where did that come from or where didn't it come from yeah so i was raised in a christian home and attended christian schools um so i definitely learned about all this for every year growing up um do you memorize these i assume oh yeah, oh, yeah. the whole thing the whole thing so i think there was definitely uh I rose to the occasion, I would say, of the, <laughs> the good perfectionistic child easily. Mm. So all of that, you know, definitely was a nice, just fit the grid real well. Yes. Um, I lined up real well with it, but yeah, pressure. Hmm. And did you feel guilt when you didn't line up or did you just always line up? I mean, I almost always lined up, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Don't you dislike people like this? <laughs> Oh man, so annoying. Yeah, that's a deeper issue though, right, Bill? In it and is. of itself. It's a deeper issue. But that's yeah. a different message. So. No, I definitely had guilt though on the. Yeah, I felt a lot of pressure in trying to make sure I was pleasing God in what I did. So there was a lot of that. So more around like decision making, what you're going to do with your life. Mm -hmm. Was there yes. a particular one or two situations like that? Yeah. I told I told Bill my favorite example is that when I was thinking about getting married, my husband and I asked all of our friends to pray for us um, to like find out should we get engaged like is this God's will for us. And not a single one came back to me and was like well what do you want Jamie like do you want to get married, we all were in this world of like is this God's will? Is this the right thing to do? You have to find some answer out here yes, somewhere. Yes, as opposed there's to some actually... sort of external uh, approval out there yeah. that we needed to get. Yeah. So. Yes, and it's hard to actually ask the question, what do you want? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and there was a time in college? Yeah, well, I just... Um, as you were talking, I was thinking how in some ways my the hard thing for me was to like let myself be a part of like God loving me mm -hmm. through me mm -hmm. as well. It was always about how do I love others? How do I serve others? And um, my family was a very musical family growing up and there was this, you know, unspoken kind of structure and a lot of leading to that. And so um, I studied music in college, but I knew I didn't want to do it. And so when I finally made the decision um, to not do that anymore with my life, I became really depressed because I had no idea kind of who I was. And there was a lot of that external uh, affirmation and support music. that came through my life in this kind of built in identity from when I was really young. So. Took a while, took a while to work through all that. And so just changing your major just changing my was major. like this major. It was the best thing like, for me though, right? I was loving myself by pursuing what I wanted. But and you were actually following God's will, even though. I feel I was, yes. I feel I was following what God wanted me to do um, in kind of giving myself the freedom to do what I wanted. Yeah. And it was good. Uh, super helpful pictures. So when you think about shifting from 
uh, a way of being in the world that's kind of law-based. And whether it's like a moral code or whether it's like, oh, I should do music or whether it's your culture, your parents or your schooling, your church that sets the agenda for you. Jesus seems to be shifting that. How, how have you seen in your own life shifting away from this way of doing things more into a different way or maybe mm -hmm. a, what sounds like a better way for you? Yeah, I don't know. I guess everyone probably has their own. Some people maybe need to learn to uh, think of others more. Mm -hmm. And in my journey, I had to allow myself to be like, right. you are good and important and you can trust yourself uh. and trust what you know, it doesn't have to be this external authority giving you uh, permission, but you have it. God is within us, right? So you could actually learn how to love yourself. Yes. That was a big part of your journey. Yeah. And did that affect how you thought about others? Oh, yeah. Yeah, just permission. <laughs> we all have permission, right? We all have permission to listen to God within us and to honor God in each other, right? Um, we don't have to, my expectations don't have to be your expectations. Sounds a little bit like growing up. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you, Jamie Dunham. That was so great. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it's a simple picture, but again, we have these frameworks in our lives, whether they come from our family, our school, um, our, our religious background, our cultural norms like uh, America Ferreira talks about in Barbie, right? These cultural norms about what it means to be a woman. Like all these, these different things that, that I'm suggesting, that is law. That is what Jesus is pushing up against and saying, there's a better way. There's a, there's a deeper, freer way to live. Uh, I'd like to invite uh, Yvonne Printers up again to read a second uh, set of, of passages. So yeah, welcome Yvonne. She's doing double duty today. Um, but the, these um, readings come from the book of Hebrews, and they're specifically talking about how do we deal with not just technically law, but this concept that there is an agreed upon way to do things that's actually not helpful. So you don't have to stand. No, just let me sit. The former re regulation is set aside because it is weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect and a better hope is introduced. Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. Amen. People of God, this is the word of God. <laughs> Thanks, Yvonne, for doing double duty today. All right, so the book of Hebrews, and, and my assumption is the book of Hebrews is written by a woman because it doesn't have a title and there are a number of other reasons, so I'll refer to the author as she. She's writing this passage about how to think about those systems in our lives that drive us towards guilt, towards shame, that limit us, that make us fit into a certain box. And did you hear the things that she said? 
that, that the law is, I mean, and she's definitely talking about scripture here. She's talking about the Bible. It's obsolete. Put, put the, can you put that screen up again, Joe? Um, back one. Thanks. Um, it was weak and useless. How do you feel about someone saying your Bible's weak and useless? Right? Uh, it made nothing perfect. It, it didn't do its job. There's a better covenant. Uh, and this new covenant makes the old one obsolete and it's outdated. How, how do you feel about that approach to Scripture? But, but the author of Hebrews wants you to kind of like, oh, whoa. It's a little bit like Jamie getting to college and feeling so disoriented as she changes majors. Because there was a law in her mind that said her whole family's musicians. Um, it says there's a different way. And Jamie's a therapist and a wonderful therapist. Uh, she's not a professional musician. Um, but it's disorienting to let go. And so what, for her, she entered into de depression. It took a while. It took some healing journey. And some of us, that's our journey. That's where we need to be, is to go on that journey to find real life. So this is what Jesus says. Listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus, who loved Scripture, quoted Scripture, loved the Ten Commandments, quoted the Ten Commandments, okay? But he's summarizing, he's moving from the bare minimum to a low minimum to this ultimate high bar. And it's this free and joyful invitation to a new way of life. So listen to this from Jesus, Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. And then woe to you Pharisees. And he's talking about the Pharisee in your brain. Right? We're not trying to dump on some ancient group of people. Think about what's in your brain. Woe to that going on in your brain because you give a God a tenth of your mint and your rue and all kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. Like you're so meticulous, but you miss the point. And then this is my command. Love each other. It's a new way of being in the world. It, this free invitation to just love really well. And that, that loving doesn't mean that you blow off all right and wrong. It actually leads you to, if you follow in the way of Jesus, greater sacrifice, greater selflessness, greater financial generosity. I mean, all, this, this whole new world, but there's no limit. You can't get it right. You can't pick a number of times to forgive someone, for example. 
or an, uh, an amount of money, if you give that, then, okay, you're, you're good. But there's not guilt associated with it. It's like, it's like this free way of life, like, yes, this is so good to be alive in Christ. This is the invitation that we have. And I, wanna, I was thinking about, in my own life, what, what this has looked like and, and how it's played out. And I, I had a conversation with a friend this week about it, and I realized that, oh, this is, this is it. Um, so both my parents passed in the last 11 years. Um, my mom passed in November, as you guys know, those who have been around. It was a very open part of the journey, sharing with you her cancer and process. Um, being with my dad in his dying months was very different than being with my mom in her dying months. In part because, well, because of you people, because I, I've been on this journey with you trying to figure out what does it look like to grow up and follow Jesus and live a life of love as he loved us and not a life of doing everything right. So with my dad, as my dad was dying, and there were some great moments. I mean, so, so many gifts in there. But there was a baseline anxiety because I wanted my dad to say a special prayer, right? The Jesus prayer. And to respond to God in a certain way that I, that I knew what it was. It looked like this, and he had to say these words, and then we would read this Bible passage, and then, and then we'd be good, and he'd go to heaven. And, and I found myself being with my dad in his, in his last months. I was an anxious presence. I was a little pushy. I didn't serve him as much because I needed to get it right. Because I had this grid in my mind of how it was supposed to go. And honestly, you've taught me a lot how to love, and particularly my kids have. Um, and with my mom's journey, with this round of cancer, it took her, it was nine months um, of her diagnosis through her death. There was this incredible freedom to love my mom. I just didn't have to convert her. I didn't have to make her say a certain prayer and read the Bible this way. And I just could like crawl up in her bed, you know, after a chemo treatment and just lie there next to her, talk or be quiet. And there were times she asked me to pray for her. It was remarkable. This is not my, that's not my mom. And I just got to love her. And I am telling you people, it was so much better. I, it, I mean, I love my dad. And, and I think dad could forgive me for my anxiety and my bossiness. But man, mom got the best of me. And I liked the best of me. So, so this stuff actually matters how you, how you live how you treat your, your friends and your, your parents and how you decide things about like your major or who you're going to marry. And the way of Jesus is indeed the way of life.
that we are all invited into. Uh, I'd like to invite our friend Lewis Thaxton up, uh, who's going to